Do you want to hear the song I wrote yes. last night? Yeah. Nice. It's just a very short one. <clears throat> it's called I Me Mine. Six, eight. Is that just timing? <laughs> one, two, three, four, but... But three, four, not... Three, four, when you don't do it, bum, tit, tit, bum, tit, tit. Yeah, goodbye goodbye and get back welcome all of you pot smoking fbi agents to another very special episode of paul or nothing the place to get all of your paul all of the time and remember this is widescreen podcasting this is wide screen podcasting of course i'm your host sam wiles thank you all for tuning in dropping in dropping out switching off and switching on and exploding i hope you're all well safe and sound Yes, this is an incredibly special episode of this podcast, folks, and you really should all know the reason why. Yes, everyone, it's finally here. The most hotly anticipated Beatle event of the year is now well underway with the release of Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back, exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Well, I say released, we've had the pleasure of viewing part one of three of this docuseries, with the two subsequent episodes coming out over the next two days. These are very exciting times here in Beetle World, and we are here to capitalise on it, of course. You know, most of you are probably aware of the fact that it takes me far too long to write my notes slash scripts for each episode of this show, and rarely ever do I do something off the cuff or without prompt. However, if we are to be not ahead of the curve, but at least congruous with it, we're going to have to shake up the format here today. Here today. Basically, folks, this is going to be the first of three back-to-back consecutive hot take episodes with my finger on the pulse, and I'm going to be reviewing all three episodes the day they come out. 
one today, one tomorrow never knows, and one the day after. Now, this is going to be a little looser of an episode than we're typically used to here at Paul or Nothing. There's going to be no housekeeping segment, which is, as I know, a blessing to some of you out there. And instead, I'm just going to be doing it loose, playing it fast, shooting from the hip, as it were. And I'll just give my generalised review of this part one slash episode of this docu-series, which will feature no spoilers at all. I'm not going to be doing that at all. You will still be able to listen to this review and watch the episode if you haven't seen it already. But in that vein, I'm still going to be as detailed as possible and be as all-encompassing with this review as I can. I mean, you can call this a spoiler if you want, but all I really want you all to do is to go out there and watch this ASAP. I won't get any royalties from Disney Plus or anything, but this is seriously well worth all the hype, and I want to hear what all of you think about it. You know, this is an incredible opportunity to start a Beatle conversation. Those of you who have already watched this episode and have some thoughts, please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or on Twitter at McCartneypod. And let me know what you think, and I'll read them all out on the very first episode after these three hot takes, aka the Get Back a Companion Coffee Table book review. Okay, here we go, folks. Wish me luck. I'll try and keep the rambling, the ranting, and the raving to a minimum. And apologies if I stutter a little more than usual, as this is more or less live, and I'm just so blooming excited. Okay, here we go. Yeah, this movie's pretty fucking awesome, folks. Go see it. Get Disney Plus. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Paul or Nothing. Thank you very much for listening. And what? You want more detail? A little more detail? Okay, sure. Disney's Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back Part 1 of 3 was absolutely worth the wait, everyone. Even though we've only seen a third of this, it's easily the official document of the period. Yeah, we've had the books and documentaries and podcasts and even the previous Michael Lindsay Hogg movie, but... This really is the final word, the word, on the Get Back slash Let It Be sessions. There's nothing that comes close. It truly is a surreal, trippy, fever dream portal to the past that is shockingly real, I guess. Like, I know that sounds silly to say, but I never knew that we could so accurately and honestly and earnestly view this point in history it's crazy this oh my gosh folks um let's start with the title because something that was revealed to me only once i selected it on disney plus was that this is not just get back part one of three but get back part one days one to seven now this is important as it highlights the fact that jackson as the director has decided to present this series entirely chronologically this means there's no cutting back and forth between all of the events and you are more able to follow both the writing of the songs as well as the narrative. You know, it's far more easier to follow this time around. Actually, scratch that, there actually is a narrative this time around. Essentially, the main hook of the documentary is the idea that the Beatles have gotten together at Twickenham Studios on the 1st of January 1969 and they know that they will be doing something at the end on January 18th, 1969. They don't know exactly what they will be doing, but they know that they have to practice some songs for it, whether it's a TV special, a concert, a performance, a movie, or whatever. To add to this chronology, we even have a little calendar transition that bookends each day. 
always with January 18th in the corner to hammer home just how important this date is going to be. Then, as the calendar moves from day to day ever closer to the 18th, you are experiencing the tension build and build in a way that the band themselves must have been feeling at the time. It's a real Sword of Damocles effect that adds a wonderful ticking clock element to the proceedings that has more in common with the third act of an action movie than a rock documentary. I'm sure this is all a trick on Jackson's part at the expense of the audience because we all know that they did and will nail the rooftop concert in the end, but when you get to day four and they only have three or four songs and they're all as rough as hell, you are sat there genuinely worried like, how are they going to pull this off or at least how did they pull this off? One can only assume that the next episode will cover the next seven days at Abbey Road Studios and the third part will cover the rooftop concert. Maybe even the end of the sessions and the release of the album, who knows? Of course, this episode was 157 minutes long, which in itself is already over an hour longer than the original documentary back in 1970. And even with me pausing to write notes every few minutes, which, which you know, extended its length well over by another hour, it was still crazy how quickly it flew by and how breezy it felt as a narrative. Maybe it's because it felt like seven mini documentaries in a row rather than one, but fuck me, this thing sprints past you at breakneck speeds. And I know many of you out there will be rewinding the fuck out of this documentary or just straight up watching it again in its entirety right after the first time to make sure that you haven't missed anything. And it's not like any of that length is wasted either. Jackson stuffs, stuffs the documentary with the very best of the material. There's nothing that I would consider cutting out or anything that felt superfluous or, you know, that bogged the film down or anything like that. Everything felt entirely necessary to the plot and it moved the story forward. Every song inclusion, every performance felt natural and worthy of showing to an audience. And I can only wish it was longer, which is the greatest comp. And I can only wish that it was longer. But as we all know, every Peter Jackson production normally has an extended cut somewhere down the line, and there are rumours of an extra six hours of footage being included on a possible Blu-ray release. We can only hope. Moving on from that point, let's get to our generalised Peter Jackson shout-out, because my God, is he ever the outstanding element of this movie-slash-documentary-slash-series-slash-thingy-mabob. I mean, it really is to be expected from Jackson at this point to deliver the goods the way he has, as he really is one of the greatest living filmmakers there is, or ever has been. As many of you probably know, I'm a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings films. I re-watch them several times a year, but I also adore his version of King Kong. I've always had a soft spot for his horror comedy, The Frighteners, his early gore work in movies like Dead Bad Taste or Dead Alive and I even appreciate his work on The Hobbit turning three bad films into three okayish films and that's kind of what he's done here actually with this footage folks except to an even greater degree he's turned a pretty mediocre drab documentary into a truly titanic great brilliant splentabulous documentary and what I predict will be three great documentaries I'm going to do my best to explain exactly what I mean here but the filmmaking 
on display on Jackson's part, particularly the direction and editing is simply excellent. He is unquestionably and, ob and objectively a master of his craft. And outside of the Beatles stuff, the film was wonderful to enjoy as both a film and a documentary in itself, as well as a filmmaking and editing exercise. We'll go shortly into the events and moments he chose to include in terms of songs and the stories and stuff, but I do just want to highlight the visual splendour of this movie, as opposed to the rather visually dull and static original documentary. There was a much greater focus on the variety of camera angles and the inclusion of camera movement. I mean, yeah, the majority of the stuff is entirely new in terms of both its visuals and content, but... Bar from a few famous shots that will be more than familiar to Beetleheads, even when we got to some old classic moments, they were comprised entirely of brand new shots, angles and cuts. You know, it really was something new for the senses. Additionally, since Jackson takes the whole day-by-day -day workings of Apple and the Beatles' inner machinations into account, he includes things like side conversations, people coming and going, as well as the greater cast of characters. It means that there's far greater opportunity for a wider series of images to be displayed, you know, things we truly haven't seen before. And, you know, you can really pick the details apart rather than just have the four Beatles sat or stood around in every shot. Of course, the shots would not mean anything if they weren't sequenced properly and, you know, Jackson's always been a brilliant editor and he's always had fantastic co-editors and whether it's a scene of the Beatles just sat around chatting or whether it's a dynamic performance he's always able to keep up the interest and keep your eyes active enough to never allow you to be even remotely bored for a moment like every moment of this film is just bam 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 you know you are always shown new angles new cuts you get a very 3d uh, representation of the room and it's never too quick when it needs to be it's never too slow when it needs to be it's always flowing at the right kind of pace and you know it's so natural you just feel like you're there you know the original point of get back slash let it be was to meant to be you know this kind of stripped back fly on the wall uh candid you know, peek into the lives of the Beatles and that's what Jackson does almost like you know you are just viewing a dozen or so different people's point of view whilst they were stood around in the studio at the same time you know like the stagehands that kind of thing and the insights are so so intense you know you almost feel like you shouldn't be watching some of this something else that was pretty deft on the part of Jackson was the use of Beatles historical stock footage from across the episode. Of course, there is a lengthy opening montage that might be the single greatest you know, condensed brief history of the Beatles that takes you from the cavern through Beatlemania right the way up to 69. But there were several moments where we would cut back to classic Beatles footage, typically without playing the correct audio and playing what they were doing in the studio then, and it was always incredibly effective. It was all perfectly relevant and whenever it did appear it only helped serve the narrative. One example that stands out to me is when the band do a run through of rock and roll music by Chuck Berry. It cuts back to them playing at Bodu Khan back in 66 and even though that was only three years ago it was not only incredibly nostalgic but it was pretty mad at you know just showing how far these guys have come as a group and how fast they've done it. 
as a single point of pedantic ne negativity in this review, there was clearly some stitching together of clips whereby the mouths didn't quite sync up. Now, this is entirely forgivable, as we know that not everything was filmed, and same goes for the audio, and Jackson really does his best with what he's given to keep the shots moving and flowing naturally. And besides, they do even point out this slight inconsistency in the intro text, so I can't really hold it against them. Speaking of the choice of images, let's quickly touch on the images themselves and how they look, because yeah, not only is this a gorgeous movie with brilliant shot selection and fantastic editing that delivers a thrilling pace, but it's also just physically slash digitally presented in the best way possible. I mean, the transfer from the original whatever X millimeter film print to the digital footage here is nothing short of a miracle. It's astounding. I, I know a lot of money went into the tech behind the making of this film, and not only does it show, but the results speak for themselves in glorious 4K HD. The boys themselves have never looked better, and to see it all in such clarity was yet another brilliant novelty to enjoy whilst watching this film. Because straight up, it's a pleasure to look at. From what was formerly a gritty movie, we now have a crisp and clean picture. And from what was once a very drab, dark movie, we now have a cornucopia of colour. I mean, the fact that this takes place at Twickenham Studios, you would have thought that this would have been, you know, quite dark and dim. But thanks to this cut of the film, we finally get to see just how triply technicolour the whole setup was, particularly with the background. This also extends to the fashion on display in the film. I'm sure I'll get to the individual items later in another episode in the future, maybe in the final summary, but fuck me, are the Beatles a fashionable bunch of fellows? Something that is almost entirely absent from the original edit, and I loved just tracking what all of them were wearing, because as real people, they would wear some of the same stuff over several days, and, you know, you can even tell, like, that the coat Lennon's wearing and George are wearing are going to be the coats they wear on the rooftop. And one particular line I love from John, it, you know, it's kind of an excuse for him wearing the same clothes every day, is that he's wearing continuity clothing. Cracking joke. What about the story, though, Sam? Is it a complete whitewash? Does it change the history of the Beatles? Well, as you may know, I did go into this film with a certain degree of jean jacket cynicism, in the sense that, I've always perceived this particular period of the Beatles to be a largely negative one, and I'll admit right now that my view on these sessions as a whole have been largely recontextualised, and dare I say it, changed drastically. And that has to be the best compliment I could give this film, as that is exactly what it set out to do, to prove that these sessions were more enjoyable, collaborative, and fun than we have previously been led to believe. I mean, yeah. The critical part of my brain, the cynical part of my brain, could not help but notice that there was an awful lot of laughing and smiling to the point whereby I reckon Jackson and his co-editor literally had a file for smile footage to cut to at any point. But in all fairness, it's not like that this is new footage. This is just stuff that was left out of the original cut, and that decision coloured our view immensely. And so it was rather refreshing to see the Beatles still acting like four cheeky lads for the majority of the film. So yeah, while it is a bit of a revisionist approach to the story, never once did I feel like I was being manipulated or propagandised. Jackson's presentation felt entirely earnest and genuine, and the only thing that would make you think that this was going to be a whitewash was the vast amount of media surrounding the release of the film. 
as they may have laid it on a little bit too thick with all the talk of positivity. What this film reiterates for the viewer time and time again is that people are complex and whilst there may be underlying tensions, they're still friends at the end of the day and they still enjoy each other's company as well as working together. At one point in the film, Ringo simply refers to them as being a bit grumpy for the last 18 months and at another point, George cites them as having lived through the doldrums for the same amount of time. But never once is it implied that they hate each other or they aren't still the Beatles, you know? Speaking of negativity, though, I also really appreciated the fact that Jackson made no effort to conceal some of the slightly more salacious aspects of the Beatles' lives, at least through the 2021 gaze. And this film is replete with swearing, saucy sexual references, and oh my god, so much smoking. It's been six months at the time of recording since I had imbibed in inhaling smoke, and fuck me, do the Beatles make it look ever so tempting. Also, huge shout out to Paul McCartney smoking a cigar, which is something that I never thought I'd see. However, you know, I will point out that it's not all roses, and that Jackson is a lot more open and honest about the negative stuff than I ever imagined he would be. As far as I'm aware, there is no attempt to hide anything that we knew happened or make it appear like those underlying tensions and issues weren't there. I mean, of course, we get the infamous George versus Paul spat. However, that is completely recontextualized as Jackson plays about two minutes prior and a minute after that, and it makes you totally reevaluate that whole situation. You know, it's much more about two artists discussing their methods for writing songs rather than Paul being this overbearing, manic, you know, tyrant. Um, very interesting stuff indeed. Um, you know, but besides that, we get uh, all of the doubts as to the feasibility of the film, the choice of venue, the construction of the stage, etc. Whether they've got enough time to even learn and practice these songs and Jackson even does the audience a solid here by actually including the fact that George left the band at this point. Actually, the episode ends with that as a nice little dramatic stinger. You know, um, even the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit films, Jackson's been a, a master of leaving cliffhangers to get you back for the next instalment. And that's definitely what this has. Um not to sound too much like a flip-flopper or anything, but this film certainly taught me that whilst it wasn't an entirely happy experience, um, the previous documentary, the individual Beatles' subsequent musings on the period, and the fact that the band would break up in just one year has certainly dominated how we view these sessions. And whilst the, you know, the marketing may have laid it on thick, um, it's clear that the way we've been interpreting the past has not been the entire truth. And it, you know, this film is just so illuminating as to how many gaps in the, in the narrative that it seems to fill in. Moving on to the songs now, as yes, this is a documentary just as much about music as it is about people. And right away, the first thing I want to point out is that this is arguably one of the greatest single films about the process of songwriting, or at least where you're able to view the process of songwriting in action. I was utterly captivated by the candid way we were able to see the Beatles work out and figure out their craft of songwriting. In the same way that I was able to vicariously enjoy Peter Jackson's craft as a filmmaker, the Beatles are on display throughout this film primarily as four guys who know how to write, construct, edit and play on songs. Of course, there are pangs of 
overbearing Paul in this film, which is my cross to bear as a McCartney podcaster, but the collaborative element between all four of them was delightfully present with every song they were working on. The pleasure I got from being able to see these classic songs go from their roughest, unshaped forms into not quite final polished versions, admittedly, you know, we're not there in the narrative yet, but into slightly less rough forms was immeasurable. I mean, yeah, we've all heard demos and other takes, but I personally haven't gone through the gamut of the 56 hours of Nagra Real tapes, and so therefore there was plenty of music in this film that was entirely new and fresh to me. In particular, songs like I've Got a Feeling, Don't Let Me Down, Two of Us, and Get Back really get put through the ringer in this film, and despite them being played half a dozen times or more, the variance in styles and the approach as well as Jackson's spacing of them meant that they were always a thrill to listen to but you know not only do you see the Beatles discuss chords how things should be played timing lyrics you know you just get to see them talk to each other and you get to see how these songs get shaped you know you get to see the dynamic between these four guys you get to see them accept praise and criticism with equal measure. You get to see them work on their own songs, work on other people's songs, and even, you know, fight back and bite back against criticism. You know, you really get to see the personalities shine, shall we say. Also, just on a technical level in terms of the songs, it seems that the systems used uh, for the 50th anniversary box set were the same here as the vocals and guitars have a far greater degree of separation in the mix and could be heard more clearly than ever. Like, this just sounds good as well. You know, not not only is this a visual spectacle, but I imagine that many of the takes used in this film particularly and in this particular mix are going to be a great source for bootleggers in the future. Just to be a neurodivergent fan of lists for a moment, I want to point out that overall there were way more fucking songs included in this episode than I ever expected. I mean, yeah, we had the excellent medley of their pre-1969 music before we begin the show in earnest, but I was pleasantly relieved to be proven right by what else made its way onto the film. Like, I can't overstate how Jackson really gets into the obscure stuff here a.k.a. all the tracks that we wanted to be included on the box set but weren't. I'll list the songs in a second, but let's... I'll list some of the songs in a second, but let's just say there were very few stones left unturned. And no, they don't play most of these songs in full or anything, but Jackson does tip his hat to all the fan favourites, and hearing them in such lucidity and detail was a trip. You know, in this doc, you get songs like Child of Nature... Taking a Trip to California, Because You Love Me So, Thinking of Lincoln, Won't You Please Say Goodbye, John plays the Harry Lime theme from The Third Man, George plays a snippet of Every Little Thing, Yet Paul doing I'm So Tired, there's a fantastic early snippet of The Hall of the King and Birds, which was, oh, I've never heard that before, that was really cool. You get two jam sessions, which I've never heard, called You Wear Your Women Out and My Imagination. You get Paul doing Another Day. They actually play Get Back the No Pakistanis version, which I thought was absolutely incredible. 
and they also do Commonwealth slash Enoch Powell, and it's all preceded by a very helpful little bit of text to kind of contextualize all of that, just so people don't have a mad panic or anything like that. But I was very, very happy to see that Jackson would touch on that kind of material. You get Susie Parker, they all do House of the Rising Sun, George does uh, Dylan's Mama, You've Been on My Mind. You get High Hill Sneakers and Midnight Special, both songs that Paul would later cover in his solo career. You get the fast version of Two of Us. You get, and to top it all off, you get loads of the Yoko Jam here, which is accompanied by some excellent quickfire editing. And, you know, you can just tell in this sequence that Johnny's clearly having a blast playing with his missus. Um... You also get some Paul on the drums here and a great little quip from Ringo where he's saying, there's only three people playing. I know it sounds like Benny Goodman, but it's just John, Paul and Yoko. Like, it's absolutely great. <laughs> and uh, to end the film, as, uh, you know, George is leaving the band or has left the band and they're all kind of talking it over, you get this really haunting early studio take of Isn't It a Pity, which is just... Oh, mwah. Oh, uh, just to say, you also get the full studio version of The Hall of the King and Birds at the end as well. Just going back to the quality of these songs and the quality of the music, again, just in the way that the film itself is beautiful and crisp, you know, the film stock, I can't praise it enough the sound quality in this film. Because, yeah, as we all know, the original documentary didn't exactly sound the best, and even Paul himself discusses how he hates the shitty, weak TV quality sound of the day. And the team behind this film truly bring Paul's vision, or should I say hearing, to life, as we get some just incredible audio quality from start to finish. You know, as someone who in our Let It Be 50th anniversary episode admitted that they have a bit of a tin ear for discerning between certain mixes... It was still obviously totally clear, especially with the non-album stuff, just how much clarity, space and detail there is to behold. It feels like they had to have gone back in time with better sound equipment, but no, there it is, and it sounds impossibly good. Moving on, and of course, there are the star themselves, the Beatles, the Fab Four mop-top hippies from Liverpool, and boy, oh boy, does this film do wonders for them as a band. Yeah, as, as a songwriting group, a bunch of friends, and as a collection of men approaching their 30s. Each of their individualistic personalities shine through with crystal clear clarity. We also get a wonderful range of emotions from each Beatle, and they are far less restricted to being their one-note stereotypes of yore. Paul is charming, yet assertive. John is quirky and fun, yet strangely erratic. George is patient, yet clearly frustrated, and whilst Ringo is both the heart and soul of the group, he's also a bit of a stick in the mud at times, to say the least. We get to see each member display a variety of emotions, both happy and sad. They are motivated and bored. They are interested and disinterested. It's really all over the place, but without feeling like it's unfocused or an inaccurate portrayal of them and there never really has been such a three-dimensional presentation of these guys on film as human beings who aren't just following a three-act structure something else i really enjoyed was just how much of their own careers the beatles referenced in this film you know you get jokes about jimmy nickel 
George talks about every little thing. John and Paul instantly recall ITVs around the Beatles. We get loads of tracks that could totally have been an alternative dimensions version of the one after 909. And yeah, you know, just as someone who has lived at a time when Paul just tells the same stories over and over again because he's forgotten most of them, this was an aspect that totally bewitched me as it proved that the Beatles weren't these aloof guys who just moved on without a care. They were smart fellas who were proud of their work and could recall most of it instantly, which has rarely, if ever, been portrayed on film. So yeah, I've already gone through their interactions as a band and how well they work, but I just want to highlight how they're also clearly still friends when not playing their instruments. We see them talk about their weekends or what they did the night before, what they watched on telly, they discuss pop culture and history, and as a foursome, they are always trying to have a laugh, trying to make each other laugh, and come up with as many witty quips as possible. I mean, until George suddenly departs at the end of the film, it almost makes you forget that a breakup is imminent because it really doesn't feel that way at all. I mean, Jackson portrays such a positive view of the band and makes the session seem so enjoyable, you know, albeit with a few hiccups here and there, um, along with the fact that there is no footage or audio of George leaving the band and, you know, saying, see you in the clubs. It does make his departure seem very left field and out of nowhere. And it is one of the only negatives of the film. But again, that's purely down to the footage Jackson has available. And again, he does the best with what he's given. Before I wrap this segment up with a summary, something else I just want to touch on is how this series has and will continue to interact with the companion book. Like, I've only read and reread the first third of the Get Back coffee table book more than once. And so, yeah, that's the part that's freshest in my mind. But wow, is that text ever the direct transcription of this movie? Like, I can't be for sure right now, as that's something I'll probably get into in the specific book review, but it feels like almost, if not every single line from this movie is included in that book, which is another trip in itself. Uh, I'm so fascinated to see how the two continue to be this very amorphous depiction of these sessions. And not only does that book make me truly appreciate the physical work that went into it, but it also highlights just how useful a resource it is and will be in the future, because there's no way you can ever misquote this film now, so long as you own that book. Tomorrow, I am going to take the book out and read it, uh, you know, and read along with the movie as I go through it as a fun little exercise, almost like it's story time, or if they're a book of physical subtitles in your hand. And that's going to be another experience I'm really looking forward to. Though I imagine it will take me even longer to watch part two, which is a longer episode if I'm constantly referencing a book and then writing notes, but oh well. Right, on to my final thoughts. I mean, I think I've covered every part of this film in detail already, but I'll sum things up by saying that Peter Jackson has given us an unfathomably enjoyable, well-made, poignant and important film in the Beatles canon. And yeah, I'll say it, this is canon now. It may not have been made whilst the Beatles were still abandoned. It may not have even been made whilst the majority of the Beatles were still alive. But like something akin to, say, the anthology series, 
This is an official Beatles classic through and through and a must-see part of the filmography for any fan. I mean, even if you aren't that well-versed in the Get Back era, maybe you've only listened to the album and you haven't been uh, saddled with the baggage already, Like this is the best way to introduce yourself to that era 100%. As a part one, I could not have asked for a better introduction to this world, though. It presents the band that has been broken for 50 years now as the most fresh, exciting act in town. And it turns a story that we more or less all know into something compelling and enthralling. I mean, we know they're going to break up, so you could see this as the Beatles' own version of Titanic, only there's more love and the class struggles have been replaced by four geniuses rocking out a bunch of classic tunes. Academically, this film manages to deliver a whole new perspective on the sessions, and I came away more intellectually nourished than I ever could have hoped for. I learned things that I never knew, saw things I never saw, and most impressively of all, heard things of which I'd never heard, which for any Beatles media is an increasingly rare and valuable commodity. Jackson and his team have truly outdone themselves with this feature, and at present I'm itching to watch parts two and three, and thankfully I won't have to wait all that long at all. As a filmmaker, Jackson has proven himself to be a real Beatles-level genius in his own right, because not only has he taken a film that we've all basically seen, and a story we've already basically heard before, and turned it into not only something new, but something so dynamic and exciting and compelling you know like this is something that it's almost indescribably good and the fact that he's been able to re-edit this is going to be something that is going to be discussed in film circles for decades to come like this is such an interesting experiment that has succeeded in all possible areas Like his Lord of the Rings series, this feels like a movie slash movie series slash docu-series, whatever, that in the future I'm going to be watching and re-watching with a great intensity. I'm going to be watching this with other people, watching it on my own, and I'm even going to have it on in the background just to chill out with. It's a series for all occasional Beatles fans, Beatles diehards, recent converts and even complete philistines you know everyone's going to have more than enough content to enjoy in these films Um, i know i've only seen part one but i imagine the rest is going to be true for parts two and three right now i'm going to give part one four stars maybe even four and a half if i'm feeling lucky and if we're going to do like a rotten tomato percentage then i'll air towards something like 86 87 percent it's an, it's an immaculately made documentary, folks. It, it, it's a fantastic Beatles experience and a powerful, all-encompassing historical document that feels difficult to top, and we can only wait and see. Right, folks, that is my review for Disney's Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back, part one, days one through seven. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a really interesting experiment in my own right in... Uh, content for this podcast you know doing stuff the day of rarely ever am i able to do stuff like this and i'm pretty chuffed with the way it turned out do let me know what you think of this review and let me know what you thought of the film as well of course by dropping me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com hitting me up on the twitter as well at mccartneypod thank you to all of my patrons as always i am sorry that 
I'm not going to be able to get this out early because well, you know we're keeping our finger on the pulse with this one. But you know, my thanks goes out to all of you anyway because you know technically just one Patreon uh, month will basically pay for my entire year's worth of Disney Plus. So let's just say you paid for this episode as well, folks. But yeah, Beatles Get Back Part One. We are a third of the way through. We're going to have another one of these tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure it's even going to be as long as this one because I've done quite a lot of contextual stuff. But then again, the episode itself is going to be longer, so there's going to be more to talk about. Maybe I'll go into a bit more detail about plot and stuff like that. I guess we'll have to see. But yeah, this has been the Paul or Nothing hot takes review of Get Back Part 1 of 3. Stay tuned for tomorrow, folks. We'll be doing Part 2. I'm sure Danny Lane's already playing us out anyway, but yeah, keep listening to Paul, keep listening to the Beatles, keep listening to Paul or nothing. Peace and love, peace and love. Harry, Harry Krishna, no more autographs. Play us out, Danny.